Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have uh, Sarah Halberg. She's a medical director at Virta Health, V-I-R-T-A. And we're going to talk about uh, type 2 diabetes and how to possibly reverse it. I saw her do a, uh, a TED talk on this, so uh, my interest was piqued. She had a lot of energy and enthusiasm and, and great knowledge. So, Sarah, thanks for coming. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, tell me a bit about your, uh, your background. How did you become aware of diabetes? You know, hopefully not in the you had it way. And, uh, you know, what's your history with it? Yeah, so I came about diabetes really two different ways. Um, yeah, so there was a intentional and an unintentional component of my sort of discovering uh, type 2 diabetes. And the very intentional component had to do with my background in preventative medicine. Um, so medicine is actually a second career for me. I have my bachelor's and my master's degree in exercise physiology um, and used to work with people who had uh, struggles with obesity and diabetes um, in the past and then um, went to medical school, uh, became a primary care physician, uh, internal medicine physician, and obviously had a lot of training in diabetes that way. But the accidental portion was that IU Health, uh, where I was working at the time, had asked me to um, set up an obesity program. Um, And so I spent a year getting ready uh, to open the obesity department. Um, And what I realized, you know, was that there was really no evidence for the advice I had been giving patients for so long um, about weight loss specifically. What are some examples of the advice that you found that had no basis? Yeah, so this really was revolving all around the low-fat diet because that's what I had been telling people to use, whether it was for diabetes or obesity or cardiovascular disease. It was sort of the thing that we were taught, um, but not in depth in medical school. Um, And even before that, that could kind of cure all. Oh, you have this problem? Go eat a low-fat diet. But, you know, the thing is, we sort of took that advice as fact without ever spending time really researching it. And unfortunately, I think in medicine, we tend to do that um, with a number of things. Um, Once you get into your career and you're busy, you sort of do things the way you always did things because, well, that's how you were taught. And, you know, you don't question what you were taught. You just sort of continue on the path um, that um, you started and that many people in the past had created. And so what I found was, holy cow, you know, we don't want to start this program, this obesity program as a low fat program, because 
there's really no evidence that that's successful for people, especially in the long term. I mean, really, when I was open, when I was tasked with opening the obesity program, I mean, what I was really asked to do, let's face it, is I was asked to solve the air quote unsolvable problem, which is obesity. So I really essentially spent a year with my nose in the literature. I mean, I was afforded an opportunity that so many other physicians don't get by doing that. And what I realized, again, is there was little to no evidence that a low-fat diet helped with much of anything. And I discovered low-carb, and I opened the clinic as a carbohydrate-restricted clinic focused on obesity care. But really quickly, within months, we very quickly pivoted to a focus on type 2 diabetes. And that was totally unexpected, um, accidental, if you will. But when you restrict carbohydrates in people, what happens is their diabetes literally disappears. And it was crazy. If you had told me that this happened, before I opened the clinic, I would never have believed you because it's literally so astounding that you have to be acting it, practicing it and seeing these changes um, in people right in front of you to really be able to wrap your head around it. But someone could come in and they'd be on literally hundreds of units of insulin a day and I could get them off of insulin completely in days to weeks. Some clarifying questions here. I've, um, I've heard a lot about diets, but I haven't heard certain things. So people will talk about a plant-based diet, but they never mention sugar. They'll talk about a meat-heavy diet being bad for you, but they always lump in meat and sugar. You know, I've heard about low-carb, high-carb, but again, what kind of carbs? Does it include sugars or not? So you know, can you just be a little bit more specific about like the protocol you found and some of the tweaks that really works the best? Yeah, absolutely. So, and that's actually an incredibly good question, and and I'm glad you asked it. So, um, you know, in my past, I started out with what I would consider a more low-carbohydrate diet that I was using in patients, and let's define that. So, people call, uh, say, a low-carbohydrate diet very loosely. So, they can be meaning many different things, but there's actually really a pretty strict definition of what this is by people who are really experts in the field. So anything that is above 25% of total caloric intake of carbohydrates is not a low-carbohydrate diet. So you could consider a low-carbohydrate diet either under 25% uh, calories um, from carbohydrates a day, or you'd consider it under about 125 total grams of carbohydrates per day. So either or could apply. But I really moved into utilizing a very low carbohydrate diet, um, which is generally less than 10% of total calories from carbs every day, or under 50 grams of carbs. And what I found is basically the lower we went, the better results we got up to a point. Um, Because carbohydrates, I think, definitely can, uh, some carbohydrates, even at a very low level, 
um, are good for micronutrient sources. Um, and also doing a absolutely no carbohydrate diet really limits the food choices that people have. Um, but you'd be amazed at what kind of variety in food you can get between 30 and say 50 grams of carbohydrates a day. And so what exactly besides the carbohydrate count, like what are those carbohydrates and what else is involved or part of a very low carbohydrate diet? And so um, again, it's not no carb. That is a really big misconception people have. So where are those 30, 50 grams of carbohydrates coming from? Um, well, a very small amount will come from uh, dairy. The biggest part of that 30 to 50 grams will come from non-starchy vegetables. Um, so, you know, like potatoes don't count. Um, you know, they're a very starchy vegetable. But lots of leafy greens, you know, other colorful vegetables um, can all be part low or very low carbohydrate diet, certainly, and seeds, and then um, uh, sometimes even berry fruit. It depends on what stage and, and what people are doing a very low carbohydrate diet for. If they're working to reverse their type 2 diabetes, like many of my patients, we usually stay off, have them stay off the berries for a short period of time, um, but then bring them back later on. Stay off fruits or stay off berries? Stay, well, fruits in general, we don't, we discourage. So if you're going to choose a fruit, we actually want it to be a berry fruit. Um, but again, with the type 2 diabetes reversal goal, we even have people stay off of those at least initially. At first, you're very careful. And then you let up a little bit. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's exactly right. I will remember that one. Um, okay. Yeah, but you know, you would be amazed. You know, we always say it's it's really interesting. You know, when people talk about a healthy diet, they lump in like fruits and vegetables, right? It's like one word: fruits and vegetables, fruits and vegetables. And the thing is, when you look at fruits and vegetables, two separate things, they do two very different things to blood sugar. So vegetables can be enjoyed. Um, in pretty darn significant amounts, especially if you put them with some fat, and I'll talk more about that in a minute, um, uh, and still keep your total carbohydrate count very low and therefore keep your blood sugars controlled. But you'd be amazed if you give someone who has diabetes and you put them on one of these continuous glucose monitors that are just an unbelievable, um, fantastic thing for anyone struggling with diabetes, and then you feed them, you know, a bunch of fruit. And what will happen to their blood sugar? I mean, it is truly candy. Um, and it can cause people's blood sugar to go out of control quickly. Um, you know, yet historically, again, we don't say fruits and then vegetables. They need to be separated for anyone who has metabolic disease because they metabolically produce totally different responses. So it's really important for all your listeners to understand that. And the, and the reason is the uh, the sugar or other reasons? Yeah, the sugar. Yep, absolutely. So, you know, it's just, it, it's really, you know, like eating candy. And I encourage your listeners, you know, if you have uh, the ability to get a continuous glucose monitor um, and you have type 2 diabetes, 
I mean, you can check this out and, and test yourself, you know, have a little bit of watermelon and see what happens to blood sugar. Um, you know, it, oh, sorry, my dog. It's okay. um, yeah. It goes straight up. Um, it's pretty remarkable. And it's just something that's not so appreciated. So when we talk about a very low carbohydrate diet, we are definitely saying no fruits on a wide scale, um, but sometimes berry fruits can be enjoyed um, because they tend to have much lower glucose and insulin response for people with metabolic disease. Now, what about the, uh, the other macros, you know, fat and protein? Yeah. So protein, another um, thing that is often thought of when we think of a low-carbohydrate diet is that it's high protein. And that's actually not true. A well-formulated, very low-carbohydrate diet is actually only moderate protein, or what we like to refer to as adequate. And so that's waist, weight, and gender-based. So we actually use um, the very only time we ever use the ideal body weight, you know, those graphs and charts, you know, that you always look at and you go, oh, my goodness, they want me to weigh what, you know. Um, and, and I don't recommend looking at those for any other purpose except for we do tend to use that number to base protein consumption off of. So it's not the current body weight. It's more what we have, at least in the past, considered is ideal body weight for your height and your gender. So at 1.5 um, grams per kilogram of body weight, ideal body weight. Okay. Well, in the U.S., so it's, uh, what would that be in terms of uh, pounds and ounces? Oh, so it's usually about 80 to 100 and 100 to 120 grams for women and men. More like 60 to 80 for women, 100, 120 grams for men is what it turns out to be. So once again, that's not high protein. That would be considered pretty moderate or adequate protein. And then fill in everything else with healthy fats. And so, you know, let me um, just guess the, the next question, because this is what everyone always asks is, what is a healthy fat? And the easy answer to that is a healthy fat is any whole food um, sourced fat. So in other words, you know, if it, if it came straight from the food, um, it is healthy. Like how do you make olive oil? You squeeze it from an olive, right? Okay, that's a healthy, you know, whole food sourced fat or um, fat like lard. Where does that come from? Um, you know, comes straight from the animal. That's whole food based fat. But what is excluded here are trans fats and the highly refined and processed vegetable and soy oil. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. What about the, um, you know, so what do you observe from someone that does low carb, but they also have high protein and just moderate fat versus, you know, what seems to be the best low carb, moderate protein and high fat? Well, so, it depends on their goals, um, and it depends on the state of their metabolic health. So if there's someone who has type 2 diabetes, especially if it's a long-standing type 2 diabetes, um, they are probably going to struggle if they try to consume high protein. And the reason for that is protein can be turned into glucose. 
And so that's why we discourage people, you know, especially again, who have type two diabetes and are interested in reversing it is that they have to keep their protein to a moderate level. Now, someone who, you know, is maybe has pre-diabetes, their goal is really more just not to get worse. Um, You know, they can get away with a higher amount of protein um, if that's something that they would enjoy eating. So again, you know, it depends on the state of metabolic health and it depends on the individual person's goals. Have you had any cases that were just intractable, couldn't get results with a person and it looked like they were doing everything right? No, that is the one thing about low carb is it really works across the board. So when we say people maybe didn't reverse their type 2 diabetes, I mean, that happens sometimes. And in those cases, most of the time, it's because their pancreas is really has been burned out before, you know, they started low carb, they don't produce enough insulin anymore um, to be get to be able to get off insulin completely. Um, But really, that's rare. And generally, only when people have literally had diabetes for decades, Um, Most people, especially if they've been diagnosed within the last 10 years, I mean, reducing carbohydrates can reverse their type 2 diabetes. The earlier people start it, the better off it is. But I mean, we have successfully pulled people off of insulin who have had diabetes for 20, 30 plus years. Wow. Have you seen uh, people that, again, they're not diabetic and that they don't need insulin, their sugars are controlled, but they're still heavy, they're still way overweight? Oh, sure, sure. Absolutely. And, you know, carbohydrate restriction is a good way to lose weight as well. But in our patients with type 2 diabetes, we really don't like to focus on the weight. We like to sort of think of it, if you will, as a, you know, really nice side effect. Um, But more than getting to any specific weight, we're really interested in controlling their metabolic disease. So someone who might not have metabolic disease can still lose weight with carbohydrate restriction. Um, And they may even be able to lose weight with less strict carbohydrate restriction. Um, But again, in in my practice, we're focused really on people with type 2 diabetes. So why why did it surprise you that you thought you were there to just help people with weight and then it turned all to diabetes? I was so surprised because I had never heard that. What it really did is it, it made me so much because all I kept saying is why isn't everybody doing this like why did I never learn about this in all my years of school you know I didn't learn about this went through my bachelor's my master's or all through medical school or residency training you know how is it this simple and it was shocking to me and that's when I really switched gears and went into research because I was like I need to study this and help change the way we're treating this because, you know, all these people, I mean, it shouldn't just be like this hidden secret. You have to come to me, you know, um, little did I know at the time, there were a number of other uh, physicians um, who were doing this in their clinic. And of course I am fortunate enough to have gotten to know them um, along the way. Um, But, you know, someone should not have to live close enough to one of our clinics who was doing this to be able to get this benefit. I mean, we needed to make the word about this known, to take a look into the science of this, to actually 
prove that this could be done at scale. And that's exactly what we did at Verta Health. So the story of how I came to be working at Verta um, is that I was speaking at the same conference as Dr. Steve Finney, who is one of the founders at Verda Health, along with Dr. Jeff Bullock and Sami Ikenen. And I went up to him and said, hey, you're never going to believe what I'm doing at my clinic in Indiana. Um, and I approached Steve specifically at this conference because I knew he was sort of the, you know, at least in my book, the father of low-carbohydrate medicine. He had been studying it since the late 70s um, and, you know, told him about the results that we were having, how absolutely remarkable it was in type 2 diabetes, how it's changed, you know, my entire focus of my practice. Um, and so Steve and I met that day and, and really, you know, crazy as it sounds, nine months from the day that we met, we had a almost 500 patient fully enrolled trial um, at my clinic um, at IU Health going. Um, and we had 400 intervention patients that were patients that were taken from uh, referrals into my clinic. And then we had almost 100 control patients, which were patients who were set up um, to actively work on their diabetes control with the diabetic educators at IU. So pulled from two different sites. Um, and we just hit five years for the beginning uh, um, trial participants. So um, in uh, uh, not too many months, I think in May it is that we finish, we'll hit the last person who enrolled and complete five years. So that has been a remarkable experience. And Verta Health really solved the problem that I was having at my clinic, which was this is great, how do you scale it? So Verta comes in with the technology and that is absolutely 100% what was needed. So Verta comes in with the technology to literally be able to deliver a complete virtual care clinic for people in their pocket. So you know we come in and act like a specialty provider and each patient gets their own health coach and their own Verta physician and of course, they're taught the foundation of carbohydrate restriction as their nutrition intervention, but it is personalized to each person um, by their health coach. Because one thing I can say with certainty, um, and I think that most everyone else would agree, um, even in the contentious world of um, nutrition, is that there is not one, there is not a one size fits all diet. And so if you try to give the same diet instructions to everyone, you're going to fail almost all the time. And so you have to get to know people's culture, their, you know, family um, and family preferences. You have to understand what they do for a living, what their schedule is like, um, and make recommendations that are very specific to that. And that is the beauty of carbohydrate restriction is it can be molded to fit any lifestyle instead of any lifestyle having to fit into a particular diet. So take, um, take a, uh, a family, you know, here in Indiana who has a Mexican heritage. 
you know, you can't come in to that family or one person in a larger family and say, I want you to give up all those traditions and everything else because now we're going to start this new diet. No, you have to understand what are, what are your family gatherings like? What kinds of things do you like to eat um, at your family gatherings? And how can we tweak those to make them lower carb? by still respecting completely, you know, what their background history traditions are. Same thing if someone says, I'm a vegetarian. Okay, great. How do we work with that eating style that you like and how do we, we work low carbohydrate into it? It can be absolutely done. And so again, through the technology and the proper nutrition, um, we're able to help patients reverse their type 2 diabetes every day. And I'm happy to say that the trial that's now hit five years, we've already published six papers from it. So this is something that's backed by evidence. And we have one more in review now, another one about to go out. So this isn't something that we just talk about. This is something that we have studied, researched extensively, and published in the peer-reviewed literature. And the thing is that last year in 2019, the American Diabetes Association changed their recommendations um, and endorsed a low-carbohydrate eating pattern for diabetes treatment. And when they did that, they cited um, our study. Um, and then the more specific every five years um, nutrition recommendation consensus report from the American Diabetes Association came out. It cited another one of our studies. And then in 2020, the American Diabetes Association actually strengthened the language supporting um, carbohydrate restriction for type 2 diabetes. And that's really based on the fact that no other eating pattern has anywhere near the um, uh, studies, the amount of studies and published literature on um, then low carbohydrate for type 2 diabetes. So what do you see as the future of diabetes care, you know, in terms of your clinical experience and what you see? Yeah, I, I definitely see the future of diabetes care being personal, you know, um, use of a carbohydrate restricted diet. Again, personalized to, you know, each individual so that um, it can be sustainable. And, you know, that's another really important thing. And I think that when you're talking any lifestyle intervention, the catch really becomes the sustainability aspect of it. But the great thing at Verda is that, you know, we've already published our one and our two-year sustainability data. And, you know, at one year, we had 83% of patients gaining a low-carbohydrate lifestyle and continuing on in the trial. And at two years, it was 74%. Now, data, if you look at medication adherence, so, you know, a doctor prescribes the medication to a patient and hands them the medication, the chance that that patient is still going to be taking that medication a year later is less than 50%. So they didn't like the side effects. They didn't like the way it made, made them feel something. You know, it got too expensive. Whatever the case might be, they dropped the medication. So that's just taking a pill every day. This is something that is a whole lifestyle uh, change right. that they right. have been able to incorporate um, into their life at much higher rates. And I credit our amazing health coaches 
um, at Verda um, and the technology that literally keeps them in a patient's pocket all the time um, to the sustainability aspect of what we do. Okay. So um, just briefly, what, how does the Verda system work and can people that are not local to you be on it? You know, how do people join it? But Again, why, like, how does it work? You know, you said there's a nutritionist in your pocket, but what happens in my daily experience if I'm on your system? Yeah, that's a great question. So first of all, Verda is available in all 50 states. We work with many different employers and insurers to offer the Verda treatment to their customers or employees. We also have a direct-to-consumer market as well. And so people sign up for Verda. They have a history and physical um, and get labs just like they would um, when they, you know, went uh, to see any other provider for, you know, other health conditions. So they meet their physician and then they meet their health coach and then they begin a series of education mod modules, you know, and these are beginning with things like what's in your house right now? How do we make the house uh, low carb friendly? What things might need to be removed? What do we need to bring in that's going to be good? You know, so setting up the environment is one of those first early um, pieces of education. And also then helping patient un patients understand the physiology. Why carbohydrate restriction? You know, what about cholesterol? What's too much protein? You know, what are... Uh, carbs that may sneak into my diet? What are the sources of those? And so through the education modules, and then of course, working one-on-one -on -one with their health coach, um, they set a date to begin uh, um, dietary changes. And believe it or not, you know, especially for patients with type 2 diabetes, which is most of the patients that we care for, um, the physician, the patient's Verta physician will actually remove or decrease medications the day that they start. Um, the changes in the need for medication happen so fast. People's blood sugar will just drop. And part of the reason that Verta has physicians that work with every patient is because we want to be able to reverse their diabetes, but we want to do so safely, meaning we want we don't want them, their blood sugar to drop into dangerous levels. So we need to be adjusting their medications often. In fact, the average patient, a Verda physician will adjust their medications five to nine times um, as they're beginning um, to make sure that they're going down uh, safely um, uh, as their blood sugars are improving. And, you know, it's a very high touch clinic, um, if you will, in your pocket in that the patient health coach communication is usually somewhere in the range of two to four times a day, at least early on. Um, and then early on, and then again, um, you know, can actually ramp back up at other times too. Like maybe, um, you know, something happened with the patient, like let's say, you know, a job was lost, a family member was in the hospital. Those are times that the health coach communication might go up to early levels or even greater um, because the health coach is there to support the patient um, in maintaining a healthy lifestyle, even during times of stress. Very good. So, uh, again, what do you see in the next few years uh, in terms of, like, you know, how many people will be on Verda, um, tweaks to the system, you know, anything new that needs to be added, or what you're doing is working, it just needs to be in the hands of more people? Well, I think what we're doing is working. It needs to be in the hands of more people. I think that's a leading um, 
that would be definitely the leading point. Um, and I think it's getting into the hands of more people. And, you know, COVID um, has actually turned out to um, really um, have employers and insurers focusing on how can we provide remote care to patients during, you know, this pandemic and in the future. And so the idea that our clinic is completely virtual has brought a lot of interest to Verda and its treatment because, you know, the nice thing as a Verda provider is when this pandemic started, I didn't have to worry about my patients. I didn't have to worry that they were going to have delayed care or missing care. You know, things were just streamlined. You know, our patients were getting care just the way they were before. Um, actually, probably intensity of communications with our patients went up more because we were answering other questions, helping them decide if they needed to, you know, go in or could put off appointments. So our um, uh, again, I think Verda was incredibly helpful to a lot of patients during the time of COVID. Um, and then what's next is we continue to do really good research. Um, we continue to improve upon the care model that we have now, um, and we continue to um, potentially even expand its use. Um, so we continue with a robust uh, research department. Again, you know, what we want to focus on is that Verda and its treatments are first and foremost going to be evidence-based, and that's going to be as the result of clinical trials. Um, and so we're very exciting, excited to be partnering with um, new partners um, in the research world uh, upcoming. Um, and to continue to publish results of our um, long clinical trial. Okay, very good. Well, so what's the best way for people to find out about Verda and see how they can sign up and to learn more about your work? Yeah, um, they can go to vertahealth.com, and that's Verda with a V-I-R-T-A, uh, vertahealth.com, um, and they can... Um, uh, also find me and my TED talk. They can just Google my name um, and TED uh, and they can find it there um, as more information as well. All right. That's great. Well, Sarah, thanks for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. I, I thank you so very much for the time. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.